Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello, I'm so happy you're here to listen to this episode of Native Yoga Toddcast. My name is Todd McLaughlin. Check me out on my website, nativeyogacenter.com. Um, and today you are about to hear a conversation with a really amazing woman named Rebecca Reagan. She is the Bunny Hawk founder. She's an executive producer. She's a creative consultant and an integrated life coach. She's also a meditation teacher. Find her on her website, bunnyhawk.life. Follow her on Instagram at bunnyhawk.life. And she does have a website too called Ray on the Bay. Those links are in the description. Click them, follow her, check her out, send her a message. We love hearing from you. So if you like these conversations and we get a message from you saying, great, loved it. Or even be really honest with us and say, I really didn't like it. Please, we feedback is amazing. So, all right. Um, I think I covered all our bases. Rebecca's really cool. This conversation, we talk all about all sorts of things, ranging from meditation, organic farming, permaculture, tea, um, the Ecology Center. Oh, yeah, I'm going to keep put the link for the Ecology Center there as well. Please check them out. That's how I found her. All right, well... There's no reason to wait. Let's do this. I'm so excited to have this opportunity to meet and speak with Rebecca Reagan. Rebecca is the founder of Bunny Hawk, and she's an executive producer, creative consultant, an integrated life coach, and a meditation teacher. And you can find her on her website, which is bunnyhawk.life. And I'll have all that in the description below. So you can just click, and there you are. And uh, thank you so much, Rebecca. I'm excited. Uh, I found you via an email from a place in California called the Ecology Center. And I'm, I really would love to hear your thoughts about what that center is like. But first, I want to just try to learn a little bit about you. Can you tell me, you, do you live in Los Angeles? Yes. Hello. It's great to be <laughs> on your podcast and your Toddcast with you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> love the content that you've been creating here. And so it's such a pleasure. And thank you for reaching out. I am based in Los Angeles. And I am a creative and a producer, also a, a newly certified meditation teacher this year and a life coach. And I am a huge fan of the Ecology Center they're a wonderful organization just an hour south of Los Angeles. And their whole motto is grow, eat, and make peace. And they're a nonprofit farm that demonstrates permaculture and has wonderful community activities like yoga and like the mindfulness meditation that I've begun leading there as well. So very cool. I subscribed to a, a journal called the Surfers Journal, and they did a highlight piece on the founder of the Ecology Center and some of the aerial photographs of the farm. 
and where it's located in Southern California, which in my opinion is a very kind of densely populated area and to see how amazing the amount of food that they're growing on that property, doing it organically. I'm guessing it's all organic, but maybe they have different methods. Um, but it just looked like, wow, what is that place? How is he doing that? That just looks, and then I started getting their emails and I saw these community events and it just looked like a real hub of some great, um, culture in Southern California. And then when I saw that you were offering the meditation, that's where I got excited. Oh, maybe I can actually talk to somebody who, who's on the ground over there and, and involved in it. So that is amazing. It looks really cool. Um, how did you first get into meditation? So I first got into meditation. That's an interesting one. I, I kind of have always seen meditation as a very natural instinct. And so it's something that even as a young child, I just innately knew how to do. And I, I would go off and, and go and sit and meditate on my own sometimes. So, cool. so it's fr from a young age, it was a natural instinct. However, formal meditation came into my life with a teacher uh, in my early 20s. And I was taking in university in Ithaca, a world religions and spirituality course. And I had a teacher called Brian who guided our class through mindfulness meditation. And so that was my first introduction at the time to the practice, which is a secular tradition. And it comes originally from Buddhism, which is a 2,500 year old tradition so that's where it's rooted, but it is secular, which is very cool. And it's just a wonderful way of bringing our awareness into the present moment with the breath, anchored in the breath. And uh, so I, I first learned it with Brian. And I'd say I, I, you know, lightly practiced through my 20s. I was also in my twenties and doing a lot of exploratory <laughs> living in New York city, very creative where were, minded. Where were, you born, where were you born and raised? So I was born and raised in Connecticut. And then I went to school in Ithaca, which mm. is a very liberal arts oriented school. Mm -hmm. um, funny enough, they had a really beautiful Tibetan monastery there and so sometimes I would go and meditate with the monks there as well so I've always gravitated more towards the Indo-Tibetan uh, Buddhist traditions um, and uh, yeah so I was in New York City for quite some time uh, in my 20s and early 30s and worked in various creative companies. I got my start at MTV and VH1 and then moved into commercials for a long time with a great group of folks. And uh, then I slowly, I, I got married and I migrated out to Los Angeles. And my meditation practice, I'd say in my 20s was even though I had learned in my early twenties and I've been doing that and yoga and other practicing other ways of mindfulness, I'd say that I really started to ramp up 
my own mindfulness meditation practice more so in my thirties and and now forties, which, which felt good to sort of increase the, the cadence of that as the ebbs and flows of life, uh, you know, provided different opportunities to get into that. I I became a mom in my mid thirties and that certainly opened up some space and um, capacity to want to go deeper in my own practice. So I, so, so yeah, I I guess the formal training began in my early twenties as mindfulness meditation. And then in my mid thirties, I picked up, um, some instruction with a transcendental meditation teacher, Penny, who I actually just saw yesterday um, over a Zoom meditation. And so I I also practice transcendental meditation. And and that that was helpful for me for sure in the early days of motherhood. It felt really good to in that practice you come back to a mantra that your teacher gives you. And uh and, and I really liked that. That's a Tibetan tradition. Uh, no, that one is is a Vedic. Uh, it, it comes from India, so that's. Can, can you say that word again? Can you say that word again? Vedic. Uh, no, before Vedic. that, it was, um, Tsang Sing Dang, Tsang Sing Dang meditation. You you used a word. Oh. Oh, transcendental. Oh, Sorry. I tend to well, speak. Uh, <laughs> After that, I thought you said another word and I was like, and it, and it sounded like a, a Tibetan word. Oh. And so that oh, made what did that, I say? Oh gosh. Uh, it's okay. okay. Well, it's okay. It's okay. I just, I just wanted, I was like, Oh, I didn't, I heard it. And I, I just wanted to try to clarify. No problem. But I like the fact that you could potentially turn transcendental into something that sounds Tibetan. Transcendental. It sounded, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I just did that, but, but I, it's not Tibetan. It's uh it's it comes from India, and her teacher was Maharishi, um, who the the Beatles studied with, and is is known there. Yes, and uh, and so yeah, so I, I I've I've loved sitting with with Penny. She has a great laugh, and you know they called Maharishi the giggling guru, and I certainly see the evidence in her as a teacher. So she's one of my meditation teachers as well, and. Um, and then more recently, I I decided to get a certification as a meditation teacher. And with that, I went back to my roots of mindfulness meditation. And I got certified by Dharma Moon and the Tibet House. And it's a lovely program. It was six months and it was, it felt like a nice homecoming for me and a, a good punctuation and um I just felt ready to be in service to passing along the lineage and Mm. creating more joy through meditation by being able to help facilitate that learning for others had you taught any meditation prior to taking the certificate training like formally or informally Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. 
True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Well, I maybe informally mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I taught my son, he meditates That's with cool. me since That's he cool. was three. Yeah. And yeah. so he's been meditating with me for five years. That's nice. a more mantra based meditation practice that we have. Uh, the mantra that we use is an old Buddhist mantra, Om Mani Padme Hom, which is all about the jewel is in the lotus that comes from the mud it springs from the mud so it's all about um human the human and spiritual connection is what that mantra is generally about although you could study that mantra for many many years and and still be uncovering the the meaning of it mm, so nice. something about mantra and meditation practice is that we always like to keep a beginner's mind um, and I very much embrace that. I hear you. That's amazing. Are what when you were you said that when you were a child you just kind of gravitated toward, um, and when, when you made mention that you you kind of practice meditation naturally, would it would it entail sitting up straight and closing your eyes and and having some sort of conscious awareness that you were engaging in some type of practice or ritual that gave you clarity? Can you, can you remember what some of your thoughts were at that age? And when you say young, like, do you mean like age eight, like where your son is at now or more like 11, 12, 14, 15? What, do you have remembrance of that? I'd say from the youngest of ages, five, six, nice. it was a very natural instinct. It was like as natural as, being able to walk around was the inclination to sit and meditate for me. That's cool. So, yeah. So I would, I would sit upright, usually seated, maybe on a couch and with my hands on my lap and close my eyes and I would get into the the space. And, uh, and yeah, it was very much about being in the present and, clearing the mind of, yes. you know, thoughts. And uh, yeah, it was, it's always been a more natural instinct for me, but it was really, it felt like a real homecoming to actually have a meditation teacher mm-hmm. who, you know, went through some of the principles of the ancient tradition and, and uh, fine tuned of the aspects of safer mindfulness meditation, we don't close our eyes all the way. We ha- we soften our gaze, so our eyes are are lowered, but we're still in the room yes. when we practice mindfulness meditation. Versus when I'm sitting in transcendental meditation, I will all the way close my eyes, and I will return every once in a while. As, as my teacher says, in a, in a very charming way, to the mantra, uh, which in that tradition, we never speak the mantra to anyone. We just keep that to ourselves. Yes. And 
So that's, that's also a way of, of sort of grounding that practice. Yes. Is that the mantra? That's, that's cool. When you were in Ithaca and you had access to, you said the, the mindfulness-based meditation, was that something that stemmed from the MBSR, the mindfulness-based stress reduction uh, camp? Or was mm. it from a teacher that, are you familiar with that term, the, the MBSR? Uh, I can't remember who I, the... I've heard of that. I That might be a different school okay. or it might be someone's own unique spin on mindfulness meditation, which is great. I think it is. I think it is. Um, it certainly does reduce stress <laughs> yeah, and create yes. more space for equanimity and non-judgment. Uh, but mindfulness meditation um, is, it does come from Buddhism, which is, you know, the 2,500 year old practice. And so that's very much about creating, creating awareness in the present moment. Um, and so for sure, it absolutely mindfulness can really create a wonderful space for a new lens on areas of life that, you know, at least, at least for me, I might think that, oh, do I have a problem? And then I go and I meditate and I realize, oh no, maybe that was a blessing. Oh, good point. <laughs> it's not a problem. That's a good point. <laughs> I mean, that is true alchemy to be able yeah. to turn <laughs> anger and resentment into, oh my gosh, that's actually, I kind of needed that. I needed someone to say that to me or I needed to be, that is so challenging though. Do you have anything going on in your life currently? And this might be too personal and, and I, I'm totally open to uh, changing the, the current, the, 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 the question here, but do you have anything going on currently that you've had to utilize that exact principle or idea, like a, a stressful situation lately where you've, you've, you've had to reframe the context of the experience? Sure. Well, I mean, on a personal level, I completed a divorce last year in 2022. And so, as you can imagine, a life event like a divorce, all sorts of topics come up and feelings and things you need to process or, and then the transition itself and moving from, you know, that space of marriage more into mediation and then into collaboratively and for us co-parenting, I'm sure there were absolutely moments where having my meditation practice uh, absolutely assisted me in understanding what my own next steps were from a most compassionate place. And, you know, when you, when you said anger, the word anger, I, I like to think of at least meditation practice for me, if things like that arise, feelings like that arise, what a meditation practice 
helps me to do is in those moments, if I feel that, I like to think that I can be more like a lightning rod that takes that hit or has that hit and manages to then transmute and ground that. Mm. And that's a good analogy. More of an inner peace, uh, you know, just to kind of diffuse that, not to, um, you know, it's a very natural feeling, but behind anger is often sadness. And so once you can move through those layers and then behind sadness, you can get to the heart. And then within the heart, there's gratitude, there's gratitude and, and joy and understanding in all of life's lessons. Mm. And so it, you know, I'd say that when you ask if there are moments that meditation assisted me in more challenging times of life, um, for sure in my, in my recent divorce and then, and then navigating life after divorce as a single mom and figuring out dating and all that stuff is, you know, it's a balance and continuously creating the space for meditation no matter what, because, you know, especially as a parent, it's, you've got to really prioritize your day and there's an endless to-do list and, you know, there's always the dishes and the laundry and everything else. (laughs) One of my favorite meditation teachers who I've sat with for many years virtually and his Monday night meditation is Jack Cornfield. I'm so happy you're saying this. Keep going though, because I know which book you're going to mention. Yeah. Yeah. So he wrote the book uh, after the ecstasy, the laundry. Love it. (laughs) When I saw that title, I was like, I have to read this book. Like that title says it all. It's one of the best books. And especially as, I mean, as the parent, it's just so, but as, you know, as just anyone, it's just so relevant to just all of the events of life that we're constantly moving through and navigating. And um, anyway, it's a deeply appreciated book and Agreed. and he's a wonderful human being and meditation teacher and, um, and his organization spirit rock is just incredible. I'm so, so ha- I'm so happy to I meet somebody. Yeah. Anyone. So- What's that? I'm so happy to meet somebody that's actually studied with him because I, I've heard so many great things about Spirit Rock, and um, but I haven't actually met somebody that's had direct contact with studying with him. So it's so I'm so happy to, you know, anytime I look up to somebody and appreciate the work they do in writing, you just always wonder: is there a facade, and or is it real? And so when I hear somebody like you saying he's great, I really enjoy being practicing with him. I love hearing that; it's reassuring. <laughs> Yeah, well, he he actually offers um, every Monday through Spirit Rock Monday Night Meditation, and it's a rotating group of teachers, and he's one of them, and then there are many others. And so, yes, I have had the pleasure um, through you know remote Zoom and and other online. They've they've had a number of online streaming um, tech platforms over the years that have helped people stay connected. And 
I'd say, oh my goodness, if another one of our great um, collective challenges and hurdles that we all had to move through was the years of COVID and Oh, every yes. everything around that, I, oh I'd say that my meditation practice absolutely helped me in that area as well um, during the meditation practice. And then, you know, I think the last year in Los Angeles, um, we've had a number of strikes, uh, the writer's strike and actor strike and uh, all sorts of other elements that have created some turbulence in the industry in the town and so i'd say with all of that too my meditation practice is definitely something i've been able to lean on and um and offer to you know now as a teacher to the community and uh so it's it's just such a joy and i really do believe that when we can create the space for daily practice that we can very much so um, we've got a lot of, you know, there's the yin yang, which is much of what my bunny hawk is about. It's about that yin yang and that balance. And we've got quite a few uh, yang elements, if you will, in the world, things like war, things like global climate change, all sorts of, big, big things that are out there and that we need to absolutely create awareness about. And um, and I do believe that when we can find the space to cultivate our own practice, our own, cultivate our own inner peace, that's a very, very important element of of the yin, the yin qualities that I do believe help to offset and create more balance. And so it's just, um, you know, the, the older I get, the more and more and more important this is for me to, to have my daily practice and, and meditation. I, I also enjoy tea and I have a, you know, I've, I actually studied for many years in, in tea. And at, at one point, actually, I had a, a tea startup uh, that I had to put a stop to during COVID and my divorce, but I am actually going to be reviving that next year and looking to create a space in Los Angeles for tea, meditation, mindful art and event practice. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm doing that with a, a friend, a partner who will work on that with me. That's so um, cool. I, yeah. when you said tea, I just couldn't help. I can't help, but um, that's so cool because I don't meet people that really talk about tea very often, like, <laughs> like having passion for tea and that's so cool because yeah. you're right. I mean, it, it is a beautiful thing, like hot tea and um, there's no, I mean, it's safe and it's gentle and it's a great way for people to like actually sit together and do something together and maybe have conversation. 
I wish I made some tea actually right now that you say that. Do you have tea going? Do you got a cup of tea there? <laughs> I do. I do. I actually have tea from one of my favorite companies and a dear friend who has this company. It's called New Me Tea. Mm. It, it was started by a brother and sister and, and Ahmed Rahim, who's one of the co-founders, is a friend of mine. So I'm drinking that in my little rabbit moon ceramic cup nice and 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 so i've had that going but is your rabbit moon is your rabbit moon ceramic cup cup artwork that you had designed or is that a cup you found and you went cool there's a bunny Uh, i I, always (laughs) love the um the rabbit moon myth it's actually it comes from japan the rabbit in the moon and and it's all around the autumn the autumn harvest Mm. uh festival um i was actually there for tea several years ago in Japan, in Japan, in Kyoto. And I, I stayed in a monastery with monks and I was there for autumn harvest moon. And I spent much of that time meditating. And uh, at this monastery, they had tea planted as well. So it was really a very sweet, solitary experience. I was there traveling on my own, and um, and that actually leads me to going back to what you were saying about about the tea. It's, it's actually been used by monks for centuries and paired with meditation because tea, which is Camellia sinensis, has caffeine, but it also has L-theanine. And L-theanine creates alpha waves in the brain. Mm which lends to a heightened state of calm awareness that meditation provides. So tea and meditation is a really beautiful, beautiful pairing. And it's a way of reconnecting with our inner and the outer nature um, of our beautiful planet Earth. And there's so many different um, types of, you know, there are different productions of of teas from around the world i've traveled to india for tea which which was quite spectacular i love it you're you're a tea enthusiast like you really are oh yeah really have gotten into tea i mean i know well i uh, i was there i was actually there in india in 2019 and that's where i met a tea farmer from ecuador who was you know i was i was um my tea journey really brought me into further into my activism as an environmentalist in seeing what all of the farmers globally were facing in terms of global warming. Um, tea, Camellia sinensis itself is a very delicate crop. And so with the increasing of the temperatures, it it makes it you know a little bit more difficult. It's very much about clouds and mist and sun. Um, so anyway, when I was in India, I met a tea farmer who actually became my partner in a nonprofit foundation that I've been uh, working with a group of folks on on launching, and we're going to start our first fundraising for soon. And that one's called Amazon Healing, and that's helping farmers in the Amazon rainforest region to convert their farms to organic or um, beyond organic. 
And, and actually that brings me back to Ecology Center because you had mentioned earlier, you were asking about their practices, but they are beyond organic. So can they're you, in permaculture. Can you explain that? I haven't heard the term beyond organic. And, and is, this, is this a permaculture idea? Well, let's see. How do I explain that? Yeah. I'd, I'd say the Ecology Center folks might need to best explain that, although I have, you know, I have been involved in, there's an organization called Kiss the Ground, mm. where I, I shared an office with them for a little while, um, and I was part of their advisors group for several years, and that organization is all about regenerative agriculture, um, explaining the importance of composting, of ground cover, of really caring for our soil and the health of the soil. So permaculture is very centered on biodiversity and nature as an ecosystem. So um, in our modern agriculture for scale, we have um, in many cases gone to a monoculture, which definitely creates efficiencies, but it isn't necessarily the way nature works nor was intended to work. And so though it it can um, provide an accessible way to feed large amounts of people, uh, you know, and and do things efficiently, um, permaculture really brings us back to the just the core elements of work and how important a biodiverse ecosystem is. And um, and the importance of creating healthy soil. So even in a lot of uh, certified organic farms, there might still be some various chemical inputs, which, you know, are regulated, whatever, but with the permaculture, um, it's just, everything's being taken a step further with, um, with just the principles and uh, actually, the father of permaculture was from Japan and traveled around the world, and um, and it's uh, it's actually ecology center is really a living demonstration of how um, permaculture can be implemented, uh, and they, you know. I, I've gotten their farm box. I, even, um, during COVID, I was, I was driving down, getting their farm box. They were, they've just been so instrumental, um, here in Southern California and creating more awareness on whole ecosystem and balance. And now with their mindfulness program, with the yoga and the meditation, it's just next level. Oh, and the most exciting news that I was just <laughs> yeah. so stoked about was yes. so I had I when I saw the yoga, you know, I said, well, hey, I I'm happy to to teach mindfulness meditation. They said, well, that's great. I hopped on the phone with them, and they said, you know, funny thing is, we just got a geodesic dome that we're going to be building, and it'll be ready by the springtime. And I thought, well, how fortuitous, because I just love geodesic domes. And that's such a dream to be teaching mindfulness meditation in one of these. So yes, I was just yes. so happy. I said, you really just got that? And 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 we're all starting this. This is this is so synchronous and awesome. So um, so, yeah, it, they're just such a good, wonderful group of folks and community 
And oh, by the way, something that I was just um, really grateful for, but also inspired and and impressed by is it it truly the community who shows up and and surrounds the area when you know the last mindfulness meditation uh, group that I guided, I asked, you know, is there anyone not familiar with mindfulness meditation? And no, everyone had practiced it before. So, so I didn't have to do much in terms of the instruction. Um, And we went for a solid, we went a little bit longer than I might go for a newer group. And, uh, and we thanked all of the vegetables and fruits and, um, and we said our gratitudes afterwards. And it's a, yeah, it's just a very, very special um, community there. And I, I really, I really think they're only spreading love and peace in the work that they're doing. That is amazing. I love hearing all of that. I don't want to interrupt you. I appreciate you just like telling me all about that because I've been so curious. But I, I really want to just kind of go back a little bit to when you said the term beyond organic. Is there mm. is there an element there that I let me just try to think what that can mean? Like, because okay, we have organic, but then you made mention that potentially there still might be some practices involved in that that are questionable about how actually organic it is. Uh-huh. But because I have I have worked in the organic industry and I've I've um, taken permaculture design courses in Australia and I I traveled yeah. in the woofing organization, Willing Workers on Organic Farms. So I've worked on organic oh. farms around Italy you and know. Australia. And so I, this is like a passion of mine. I, I love permaculture. But when you said beyond organic, it just kind of made me think, all right, maybe I'm thinking too hard about being organic and maybe I can go beyond a concept and almost take it to a new level where, but I'm not exactly sure what that would mean. So that's why I'm so curious when you use that terminology, I just, re- I'm so curious what the, what that could imply. Well, it certainly sounds like you've got a very impressive background in permaculture. Oh, so you. I guess if we're going to break it down for the wider audience who might be listening, please. Um, I would, how can I diplomatically, I guess I could say that you, you can not be diplomatic. I don't, I'm not worried about, I like being diplomatic right. because listen, uh, yes, we need, yes, everyone to we be, do. We need everyone to be, we need everyone right. to be growing more right. food mm-hmm. so that we mm-hmm. can move into the world of, of, of uh, food and planet that we would like to be moving, which is continuing to push um, the way nature's intended it and and living more harmoniously with our planet and our soil and all the microorganisms. But yeah, I'd say, you know, and I I would prefer a farmer really talk about this and, and break it down, or maybe even someone from ecology center would be able to eloquently and diplomatically explain it. But really with, you know, even with um, some of the probably organic certified firms that are maybe still in the monoculture uh, kind of zone, um, you know, it still requires a certain amount of inputs or or what have you to kind of keep that going, even though the um, 
that's there. So I, I when when I say beyond, there's a whole uh, regenerative agriculture certification now. I believe that you can you can get as a as a farm, and there are a lot of really awesome brands and um, and food people who are embracing the regenerative permaculture uh, systems within within their um, within their whomever they're maybe either contract growing or they've got their own firms or what have you. But um, I guess that's how I would talk about that. I mean, what would that you makes, say? That I makes, mean, you, you know, because you, you, you're in permaculture too. Like, how would you describe the beyond organic? I, I haven't even heard that term before until you just said it today. Oh. That's why I'm so intrigued because, I mean, let me try to relate it. Well, one, one thing I'm really excited to have you on the show for is because I haven't yet had somebody on. Um, I've been trying to find somebody who's a permaculturist who also mm-hmm. is a yogi slash meditation person. And I reached out to a few people. I found someone in Guatemala who was doing an organic farm and they had a yoga, they had a yoga thing with the organic farm and I tried to get them, but they, it, it didn't happen. And I guess because I see such a close connection between everything you're saying in relation to if we want to live in a peaceful planet and we want to live in a peaceful world, we have to do something about that. We can't just wait for other people to try to do that for us. And then it, a lot of it comes down to like, okay, what do I actually need? I need water. I need to eat. And then the shelter and clothing thing. Yeah, I need that too. But the food and water is like so big. It's a big piece. And then you start going deeper into that. And then, yeah, you start finding like, wow, how am I going to do that? And what type of methods am I going to use? And then the actual process of trying to grow food without barriers such as chemicals and poisons and all that stuff is very challenging because as soon as you get like an infestation of crickets or cicadas or something that come through, I mean, your whole thing is just wiped out. So, I mean, it is a very challenging thing to do. Um, well, and that's why I wanted to be diplomatic because there are very real yeah, uh, bacteria yeah, and insects yeah. and all sorts of things that it's like at a certain point, you know, you, you, you got to make some choice, some hard choices. We got to make some hard choices. And yeah. so I don't want to point fingers and say that one is good point. Thank you. Do, do we all want to yeah. live in a, a world yeah. where the soil is of the optimum health and yeah. sequestering as much yeah. carbon as possible yeah. and allowing for yeah. the full photosynthesis process? Of course, but do we want bacteria in our, you know, there's, there's a balance there. And so what I found as an environmentalist and someone who's enthusiastic about that space is to also keep it real and understand that there's a middle path and understand that where we are in our civilization, our great civilization, how far we've come with our modern technology. Look, we're sitting here on these screens. You're in Florida. I'm in Los Angeles. We're having a conversation. That's civilization. That's modern awesomeness. And I think (laughs) what a lot of folks in the environmental uh, space are just advocating for, again, is finding more of that middle ground. And yeah. so that's why the grow your own movement is, is really being pushed so much is, is that if, if more people can be consciously just growing little bits in their garden, doing some, doing composting, taking care of um, 
you know, there, there are companies that have the, the vertical growing systems as well, which are great. So everything that we can do to help our local supply chain um, as well is, is just a really good thing because it's a, it's a complex, it's a really complex world and you can't just point at one thing and say, that's going to solve the rest. You know, when I was in India, I was traveling with a leading food scientist who specialized in tea. And, and I was, you know, I was kind of like the black sheep because I, he was pointing to the very real, you know, the very real way of producing and, and being able to protect what you're growing and, and all of the issues that we have with global warming. And I was there waving the flag of, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about Paris climate change 2015? And, and and what about, you know, some of the newer research that actually points that more permaculture forward um, farming practices can actually still yield great amounts of food and, and feed. But I think we as a society also need to really rethink the way we're interacting with our food system and our expectations of that. We live in a really fast, awesome modern world where we can just click a button on the internet and have something shipped from a really far away place. And, you know, something that the scientists that I was traveling with in India pointed out was, okay, well, sure, by the time you you spend the time to reduce your carbon footprint of the tea, say you are growing it in a super regenerative, sustainable way, what are you doing when you ship it across the world <laughs> to another country? How many tons of carbon? And I was like, you're so right. You're I so right. Know. We really, we really <sighs> need to bring it home more and, yeah. and, and, yeah. and yeah. continue to push local yeah. economies. Yeah. There's some really yeah. amazing, yeah. I've seen some really cool, um, uh, new kind of communities of the future that are being talked about where gardening and and food are being incorporated within those those hubs and those new kind of designs of the future like we have condo the condos from you know that popped up from the 80s but these are people envisioning what that kind of new um you know multi-family living system might look like and a lot of those are incorporating growing and um which is which is exciting so so again that's that's why I, I really do think it's very important to be really diplomatic and take a big look at the whole system and not just point a finger at one place because oftentimes we think it's just one thing and then there are a number of other um number of other uh areas that we really need to investigate further to understand how it's all working together because it's it's a much it's a much deeper more complex um set of layers of issues but the the most you know for me is that in you know bringing it home to the meditation cultivating presence, cultivating daily practice and inner peace, the more we're able to do this and slow down from our hyper-connected 
super fast, uh, you know, click of a button techie world, which is so exciting. But the more we're able to offset that with daily practice and presence, we can come home to ourselves and understand on a deeper, more maybe spiritually grounded or presently grounded perspective of how we can really create more joy and space and activism and connection with our planet and how we can each do, you know, whatever it is that are our own, our own paths or, you know, moving from our karma, as they say, into our dharma, into our service. Um, So cultivating that presence in those, those daily moments really help, at least for me, aid me in understanding where it is that I can let a little more light in and be in service to the planet and the people and our overall well-being. Wow. Should we even say any more? That was well said. That was a good (laughs) synopsis of where you're at. (laughs) No, it's good rambling. And I mean, I got to say a little (laughs) bit here because I, so I'm excited to meet you. I'm glad I finally, uh, fi- I'm finding somebody who I, I can uh, converse with about this. Um, Cause I had, I was, I've been searching to bring someone on the podcast where I could weave a little bit of this permaculture slash um, idea about how cool it can be to play a part in sustainability. And I reached out to somebody that had a place in the Bahamas where it was like a permaculture farm And then just for those of you listening, if you have not heard of permaculture, it's a blend of two words that's called permanent and agriculture. And you had actually made mention, Rebecca, of the founder being from Japan. And I think I know of the farmer that you're speaking about. I cannot remember his name. I did read a book about him. But in his book, too, the gold, it's what is it? The golden one straw revolution. Yes, yes, yes. A very cool Mm -hmm. book. And and um. He would do things where he would take seeds. Like, so we had an issue where he would try to plant seeds and birds would come and just eat the seeds. And he's like, well, you know, some people just like, well, let's kill all the birds then, you know? And I, I'm sorry to say, I know it sounds aggressive because I know you're a bird conservationist, but some people actually think yeah. that way. So then, um, yes, no, they, do, they do think let's kill the birds. And as a matter of fact, um, that was one of the things that kind of bothered me a little when I was, um, I don't know, just like getting like when I was even when I was doing my tea startup I had to get you know to pass these things from different agencies that had of course very important roles but I didn't like that they called the birds pests and I said oh gosh I just wish I just wish that maybe someone was saying it a little differently because it's particularly I remember they were saying in North America, starlings are pests. And I said, oh, that doesn't sit very well for me. I mean, if you see starlings, I mean, they're the ones forming those beautiful murmurations. Everything is a pest. Sky. I mean, humans are pests. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where do we draw the line on what a pest is and what a pest isn't? We just I get, just we, think we need I to agree. stop using yeah. the word pest. Yeah. Because That's it, a good point. It, it allows for dismiss. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it, 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 it validates dismissing a life that really should be 
Um, I mean, great point. We hear about the way genocides happen is you dehumanize someone, right? They're, and you get the populations to think that um, they're below human. And then, oh, it's okay just to kill them off. So absolutely. And this is happening on a lot of different levels. And one thing I thought that he did was amazing in the One Straw Revolution is he like then decided, well, let me take clay pellets. And it was very time consuming, but he would wrap clay around all the seeds. And the birds weren't interested. And by the time the clay, I think this is within the realm of uh, farming rice, um, that it solved the problem. It took a little bit of ingenuity. It obviously was a little more time consuming, but maybe they were drinking tea and meditating while they are rolling clay around seed. And it, and it was a nice process. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be a, oh, great. But um, I know there's a lot we can point out here. But in terms of permaculture, I want to go back to this idea with the Bahamas person. I thought, man, I really want to try to get a gig where I can teach yoga at a permaculture farm. So let me reach out to this permaculturist. And I had this whole theory because I have a theory. In permaculture, the idea is, okay, if your house is here, you have like zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, and you have like little bands that go out. And so the idea is whatever takes the most attention, you put close to you and whatever. So like maybe we'll have our vegetable and herb garden right out the front door. And then maybe if we have... um, uh, a food forest of say fruit trees with some ground covers and stuff like that. They'll be like in zone two. And then if I'm going to try to grow some timber to maybe have some wood, I'm going to put that out in the outskirts because I, that won't take as much attention. So therefore what I doesn't require as much attention, I'm going to put further away from me because it doesn't require as much attention. It makes logical sense to me. So then from the, from the yoga world, it seems like I need to come into zone one first what is most? What do I need to put most of my attention on? And then that's a great question, in my opinion, just in relation to meditation. Because maybe when I first come into meditation, I think, wow, there's that person in robes and they look holy. And I've somehow got to get to there. But what do I start with first? You know, what's my, what's my zone one? So I laid out this whole, I wrote him a big like letter. And I was like, I think that yoga actually is just like permaculture because if we attend to ourselves first, then we can promote peace outward because we've taken care of ourselves first. And then we might actually work. And he wrote me back and he was like, Nope, I don't agree with you. (laughs) I don't care about yoga or meditation. I was like, Ooh, shut down. I was like, all right. And so, um, I don't know. I just thought I had to share that story with you because I, I, I like that you're on the same you're thinking similarly, so thank you. Um, well, but it's, let me, a, it's yeah. a whole it's a whole system way of thinking, and I, I love the way you just broke it down. In that permaculture, you are planning and you're being very practical in in where you're planting, but you're also thinking about the way the whole system is working together, and and you know it does mirror aspects of life when when we're working in harmony with with nature and it does echo things like yoga practice what i was going to say is that that also reminds me very much of um when i'm going through with say one of my life coaching clients i work very much in the wheel of life principle so that is is looking holistically at all the areas of life and understanding on a deeper level, helping to connect the dots for the client in the way that one area might be actually impacting another, where they think that the tar they think that their target problem area is say career. Mm-hmm. 
actually, when they when we do an audit of the holistic wheel of life and we're honest about it, we connect the dots to the other areas that are the root problem that are actually affecting that other area. And so it's a real joyful practice in whole systems thinking. But again, that does echo a lot of the way um, the permaculture uh, farming is working because it is it's a holistic way of looking at the the environment. You're always it's not a one size fits all copy paste. Um, it's very much about what is what is native. What are the native plants? Um, what meaning what is naturally growing here in this region? Um, and what are the animals? What are the insects? What are the patterns? how how can we how can we understand you know their their behavior so for example one uh regenerative permaculture tea farmer who i had a visit with in hawaii who's an ecologist and a college professor as well him and his wife have a beautiful permaculture forward tea farm called big island tea and you know, when he was talking about the way that they had to very mindfully take an audit of everything that was naturally in the ecosystem and then what they did to build their food forest was, for example, they planted strategically koa trees, which they knew um, would help infuse the ground with more nitrogen. And they planted banana trees because they knew that they could mulch the um, the leaves as ground cover, which the worms would love underneath their their tea plants because tea is loves love loves like healthy doses of nitrogen. And so, you know, worms loved their the banana mulch. And so anyway, that he was he was talking about this one, they were having some sort of a lot of the farmers were experiencing an issue with this one animal and they thought, oh, let's introduce X, Y, and Z to get rid of that thing. But what they realized was what they had done. And I forget what the example was. You'd have to have him on to talk about this, but they realized that whatever solution they found didn't work because the animal was actually nocturnal and they weren't going with the biorhythms mm. of the animal. Mm. And so, you know, it really created, like, I think whatever it was, wow. when you work in permaculture, you really need to go down to the detail and really understanding how the ecosystem is working when you're planning it out um, because it's, it's multi-layered and you're really integrating the, the the balance of you know the birds the insects the animals and just understanding how they all work together so it's a very interesting one but i love it i i do think it echoes with any sort of mindful yoga practice meditation practice um even my life coaching practice this more coming into the present moment to really see what's there and to really understand it on a deeper level and to be accepting of, of what those elements are and um, and how they can be collaborative and how you can co-create amongst the elements, but do so in a harmonious way, not in an extractive sort of mindset or, um, you know, 
looking at at things as pests, I, I don't really think does us any favors. <laughs> to your point, we're seeing, you know, just just the world, the world at large. You don't <laughs> that that isn't really a mentality that's that's that word isn't doing us any favors in terms of our empathy and compassion. And, and, you know, I, I like to say, I like to remind myself and my friends and family and whoever is near and dear to me. I, I just love to come back to the fact that we're literally here for one reason and it's to love. And we're here to learn to love and to move past the obstacles that we have towards being loving. And it's just, you know, I, I'm constantly like, how, how do we keep getting so confused, you know, <laughs> in our humanity? We just keep getting so confused. I mean, I, I think know. there are those enlightened beings walking on the planet who, who get it. We're like, yeah, we're, we're here to love. <laughs> but, I uh, agree, you Rebecca. Know. I, you're, we're speaking the same language here. Thank you. I agree. I keep asking this question. Hopefully the listeners, if you follow me episode by episode, you're not getting tired of me saying this, but I, I actually keep finding it a stumbling block to understand why the pest exists. Like I, I often, and Oh my gosh, I, I've been trying to be so good about staying on an hour and I just can't do it. I can't do it. I need to schedule two hour podcasts with people. Maybe you wouldn't agree to that though, because you didn't know me. So you would have been like, dude, two hours. But I have so many other questions. I have so many directions I want to go here. But maybe, um, can we do this again, Rebecca? Like maybe we could keep continue to collaborate. And, um, sure, yeah. let's have a part two podcast sometime. I think so because I think so. I I do have more questions, but I I am on a time schedule, and so I I I am. But I have more. I guess let me finish that one question or statement. I guess I I know that nature might have to hold. I mean, I think the bunny hawk is a great element because you have this or analogy. And I mean, when I saw your email said bunny hawk, I was just like, I saw a hawk, I saw a bunny. And the hawk wants to eat the bunny. This is nature. It's nature. nature. It's just straight up nature. It's like, so I have to just accept nature. And I guess sometimes when I ask the question, question, why does nature have to be the way nature is? How come we can't all get along? Could the bunny and the hawk sit side by side and not eat each other? But in this realm... I don't see other, I don't see otherwise. I guess I have a hope, the future. And I've seen visual, I've seen artwork before that's kind of painted this picture of like being in a place where everything exists, you know, the man sitting next to the lion and the giraffe and all this nature is all just hanging out. But nature eats itself. Like I don't, I just, and I, and I so badly want to live on a planet where it doesn't. But then that's not this planet. And here I am. So I have to just accept it, but I want to change it. But should I try to change the things I should accept? You know what I mean? Like it's this quandary. I keep going around. I think that the yin and the yang of the, that, um, that element of the, you know, 
the protagonist or whatever it is like <laughs> yeah. so and so is eating this one and then they're eating that one it's it's just it's really like it ladders up to we're all one you know i mean in my in my head like we're all one at the yeah. end of the day in this ocean yeah. of consciousness yeah. and we have these um yeah we have these very real ways of surviving and yeah sometimes i'm sure the bunny and the hawk just sit right next to each other and they're chilling and no one's eating another they're just they're they're there coexisting but but sometimes it's you know the hawk's chasing the bunny or or whatever or the the bunny sees the hawks out there and so doesn't come out of the rabbit hole and um it is very much about that that yin and yang and i think that a lot of our what we're moving through in terms of our human existence is that sort of radical acceptance of just the way that this earth walk is what it's about our earth walk. Yeah. We're here yeah. to, to just understand it and, and maybe learn to see things that, okay, well maybe this is a symbiotic sort of relationship and these mm. are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these interactions over here are this way. And, um, you know, I, I hope that as we continue to move, um, and expand our consciousness and the collective awakening of our, our planet and what we're all here to do, we might not see things from a lens of fear and just, you know, you just, kind of understand that it is what it is and but i think you know a lot of times it comes down to inner belief systems or or um really understanding impermanence on a on a deeper more loving level of just just accepting it um and and knowing that this is the human form and um i mean at least for me is I very much see myself as a spiritual being living like a human existence. And so things like the bunny hawk, I just embrace. I think that's part <laughs> of my name. I'm like, that's cool. Like that's, yep, there it is. It's like, that's just what we're doing here. And, I, and it's not all about that. I just, there are these oppositional elements that are um, constantly around us and, and, Anyway, yeah, we could. I know you're on limited time. We could continue <laughs> to talk about it. There's, there's a whole. Well, we'll do part two. I mean, yeah, we we'll make a, two. we'll make a, um, maybe a series called Meditations with the Bunny Hawk, and it, ah, <laughs> yeah, that could be fun. I yeah, like it. Not? I love it. Your name, like right away when I saw that name, I was like, oh my gosh, she's interesting. I have to talk to her. Like it just so good job, kudos on oh, your, uh, on your creativity. Um, ah, thank you so much, Rebecca. I really enjoyed this and I can't wait to publish this. Um, is there anything else? Is there something you want to say goodbye with? I mean, there's no goodbyes, but you know, I um, I guess I'll, I'll leave, um, I'll leave whoever's listening with just a big (laughs) thank you. If you made it this far, thanks for listening. And thank you. Thank you you. for having me on. I really enjoyed the conversation and being able to toggle between mindfulness and ecology and, 
creativity and all these other wonderful aspects of life is just a joy. So thanks again for being such a great host and till the next time. Yes. Till the next time. Yeah. So my name is Rebecca Reagan and I, um, I do have a website that I, I probably need to update actually bunnyhawk.life. Um, I also have a personal, um, a bio website, rayonthebay.com. Ooh, let me write that down. Let me write that down. Rayonthebay.com is my it's my sort of bio site and that has some of my other projects on creative projects on there as well as some of the um producing work that I do. But uh but yeah it's been such a joy and I hope that anyone in Southern California will um as we started out in the beginning of the podcast talking about the ecology center please go visit the ecology center they're a wonderful um living example for feeding communities and doing so in harmonious and very conscious uh way and and again um and thank that's you in, that's in, having this podcast. oh thank you thank you i i love doing this is um is that in irvine is, is, is it is Costa the Mesa? Center yeah. in Irvine? It's San Juan. Um, I always mispronounce the name. It's San Juan Capistrano. But their their website is theecologycenter.org. And their motto is grow, eat, make peace. And I'm just, you know, at, at the website. But they are in business to shift culture, curating ecological experiences for everyone and providing creative but also achievable solutions for thriving on planet earth and they have a number of um, feasts and musical activities and yoga and meditation and it's just such a wonderful 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 community um and so their address is 32701 alapaz street in san juan capistrano california which is just an hour south of los angeles and they are certified by the Regenerative Organic Alliance, which is a thing. So I should have inserted that earlier in our conversation when we were talking about beyond organic, but I probably should have used the word Regenerative Organic um, Alliance. Cool. So, and they're a nonprofit, which is super cool. I have family and friends out there, so I'll I'll send this and all that info. Well, all those links are in the description. So if you're listening to the podcast, whether you're on Spotify or Apple or Google, whatever it is, there's like I'm sure you know this. You go down and there's links, and you tap it, and it all pops up. It's pretty cool. And Me? and I'll I'm gonna forward it to my friends and family out there just to kind of say, hey guys, go. Go meet Rebecca Reagan and um, go go meditate with her in a geodesic dome. Sip some tea, practice some meditation. Go out, pick some food out on the farm. Maybe do a little bit of yoga. Potentially meet some new friends. For those of us that aren't as lucky as to live right there, we'll just live vicariously through you guys. Maybe we need to start something over here in Florida. I know there are places here. I know my friend Travis Suit, who has a farm out in Jupiter, he's doing permaculture stuff. Um, and actually, there's people like this all over the place. You just kind of have to look. Like it's you just it's have just, to look. You just kind of got to look if you're interested in this exactly. kind of stuff. We're out there. We're out. We're out here. We're here. Yeah. So you um, just look, <laughs> seek things out. Um, that's so cool, Rebecca. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. Yeah, I, I'm just 
next next time I'm out there, yeah, next time I'm out there, I'll see if you're teaching. I really want to, I, I love, yeah, that's cool. The one thing I just, the one question I didn't ask you about is, is that like green, when you, what was the strain of tea that you said or the, um, so like if I go to the store and buy green tea, is that the same tea that you're talking about that you use the scientific term for the species of tea that. Yeah, it it's Camellia sinensis is go. the plant that tea from the store is, as you're saying, green tea, black tea, okay. white and oolong tea. There's also something called puer tea. It all comes from the same plant, Camellia sinensis. And so, yes, you can go. Um, some of my favorite store tea brands a lot of them actually also carry really good herbal um, herbals as well. There's, there's one called Organic India, which I love, that is Tulsi. And that's not Camellia sinensis, but Tulsi is a really wonderful herb that's energizing and uplifting and adaptogenic. And it's used, um, it's used in Ayurvedic, uh, you know, Ayurvedic dietary um, programs implement Tulsi. So that's organic India. And then if you want some camellia sinensis, there are a couple brands in the store. There's Rishi tea. They do some really good organic. There's Numi tea, my friend Ahmed's company. They do some great organic. They have a very good breakfast blend that I was drinking today that I highly recommend. And, um, and yeah, of course, if any of your friends and family are in Southern California, if you ever find yourself out here, um, I'm doing Saturdays at the Ecology Center. This month, I happen to be doing three weekends in a row. It just kind of worked out that way. So I'm, I'll be there tomorrow doing mindfulness meditation on December 9th. And then next weekend, December 16th, I'm also having a mindfulness meditation guided session right there on the um, on the beautiful land of the Ecology Center. And just into the new year, it's once a month, you know, one Saturday a month, which is just, it's such a joy. It's so energizing. There's... Um, you can really feel it when you're there. You can, you can feel, yeah. feel the good vibes. Yeah. So cool. Uh, and, and I love that you have some permaculture farms where you are. Maybe you'll start a yoga program at one of them. You never know. Good point. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> Maybe I don't need to travel to the Bahamas or to Africa. I can, I can do it right here. Good yeah, point. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. Well, thanks again. And I'm going to be in touch. Thank you. And nice to sit with you. And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.